Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, but more importantly, your co-host for the next hour. We welcome Yay. you to join us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Please send Ren, my, Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions on Twitter using hashtag Disrupt TV. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, one of the most famous futurists on Twitter, and uh, a regular contributor to Forbes, uh, Harvard Business Review, and ZDNet. Please follow Ray on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, in a taxi to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala. Like we are mobile live on this travel edition. I love to welcome my co-host as well, Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce. More importantly, one of the top CIO, CMO influencers in the world. You can catch him in Huffington Post and, of course, catch his insightful tweets every day. But we've got an awesome guest all the way from Tel Aviv. Who, are, who do we have today? Yes, Ray, thank you so much. It's our uh, pleasure to have Rom Handler, founder and managing partner of Innovel as our first guest. Innovel is a new breed of innovation center, cutting edge, different, and efficient. Without physical structure or employees, gadgets or service, Innovel has innovation, intellect, and flexibility at the core of its product. Innovel is structured as a coalition of established travel brands that are strategically chosen and understand the vitality of innovation and its role to the livelihood of their business. Prior to Innovel, Rom held several C-suite roles in uh, at Las Vegas Sands, the world's biggest integrated resort company. Most recently, he served as Senior Vice President and Chief Administration Officer at Sands, where he oversaw global budgeting process, capital expenditure, uh, project management, financial reviews at the corporate level, and much more. You can follow Rom on Twitter at Rom Handler, R-O-M-H-E-N-D-L-E-R. Welcome, Rom, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Hey, Ram. Thanks for staying up late and being on the show. We know you're. You know it's late over there. You know you've had a lot of very interesting roles. You know you've been a CIO. You've been the CMO. You've actually run all operations inside the integrated resorts. So tell us a little bit how that experience has really shaped what you're doing today, and really how you view technology investments, innovation, and disruption. So. It's an interesting question because when you look at innovation, especially in the what we call travel, tourism, entertainment industry, um, there have been some disruption obviously with the Airbnb of the world. I mean, you can, we can talk a little bit about the gaming industry with online gaming that really did not disrupt from regulatory environment. But the challenge is really bringing the technology to the industry in an effective way. And as you mentioned, being on the operations side, and even more so on the marketing side, you, today you're very, very limited by technology. So if you're a marketeer, so I was the chief marketing officer for about three years, um, you can do online advertising kind of by, your, by yourself with your own department. You can outsource some of the stuff to some agencies. And you can do obviously offline advertising. You can do already with much more need of technology, big data analysis, et cetera, et cetera, within a contained environment. But when you're trying to push it to the front line, to the operating team, when you're trying to do some creative stuff on the operation side and marketing and trying to do the fulfillment, 
technology is not really there to assist you. And, uh, and it's very, very challenging. It's very frustrating. I think that often you see operators and marketeers in the industry literally give up. They say, you know what, that's what we have. We'll do whatever we can with what we have. We know that it's not the most effective way, not most efficient way to use our dollars. But at least I know I'm going to get something versus trying to implement some new system that will be very difficult and complicated and is not going to work. And what you see is that sometimes things that are very simple, that look very simple, when you get to the fulfillment or the execution and pushing it to the entire front line and having the experience of the customer consistent becoming very, very challenging when there isn't um, the, the right technology. So that's kind of the, the area and the background I'm approaching innovation. We're trying to find um, ways to bring to the industry in a faster, most, more efficient way technologies that are easily implemented and um, often they might be just a feature that sits on your current system that help you do this kind of thing that I just mentioned. So, Ron, tell us a little bit more about the innovation approach. Certainly, you know, we continue to see the, the, the velocity of innovation with new capabilities, new emerging technologies from wearable technologies and Internet of Things to data science and artificial intelligence helping personalize service delivery. What is Innovel's approach in terms of working with clients so that they have a, 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 a more uh, friendly uh, experience in terms of implementing some of these technologies to improve their services? So our approach is actually, it's actually very different. Um, I wouldn't say disruptive, uh, but it's, def it's definitely different because we are focusing only on the travel, tourism, entertainment industry. Entertainment, we also include gaming, um, more so on the peripheral side of it, um, for, for different reasons, mainly regulation issues, because if you're trying to bring startup into a very regulated environment, it's very difficult for them to make it. It's difficult enough just dealing with corporate America. So mm -hmm. to bring into it the regulator, it's... Um, it's a recipe for disaster, if you'd like. So, but, but when you look at the travel industry, so the distribution side is very, is very concentrated and is very, um, it's controlled by a handful of, of uh, players. And they actually, techno technologically, they are very advanced, even though that um, they probably can be more advanced, um, but they don't need to be so because the competition is not so difficult from the supplier side. When you look at the supplier side, um, in the last, we, we've seen the, the shift in the last three years. Definitely, there is understanding. There is a need for innovation, and 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 it's the first thing that I'm looking at partners is I'm looking for a partner to understand how important innovation is for the viability of the organization in the present and in the long term. But again, we, we're focusing more on the short term than than the long term. The second thing we are focusing on is. Uh, do you understand that you cannot bring innovation all internally, that you need to use external resources? Now, the travel industry is also not an industry that is technologically heavy or focused. So what we're trying to do, we're trying to bring, with our approach is that the whole is the greater than the sum of parts. So we bring few clients from the industry, there's synergy between them, 
trying to understand what are their needs and finding them startups that already have a product and we're based in Israel so we start mainly with startups in Israel but we look at others as well and the goal is to find them startups that has something within their product that already functioning it might be even a feature that can fit on the platform and we help them do the implementation and do the POC and the goal is to bring in a relatively short time and relatively not expensive bring to this group of companies a lot of innovation so if each one can do one of the challenges of this organization they cannot do too many POC they can't focus on doing all this POC while running the business so we tell them just do three or four of them but each one of you going to do three so we get 15 so, so that's the approach that that is that is a different approach and, and actually I think it's pretty disruptive. So <laughs> it's uh, it is it is and and the question to you really is now you've got the disruptive technologies in one place but the real question is how do you match them to innovative business models right because a lot of it is having the technology form follows function without the business model how do you make it happen so 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 actually that that's. That's where I use, if we go back to the first question, that's exactly where I use my expertise. So what, what you see a lot is you see the startups and, and we split, so as I mentioned, we focus only on travel tourism. We split it into two categories by and large. One are startups that are focused only on travel. They're, they created the product in mind of the travel industry. And the other one are companies that they have a product that can fit into the travel industry. So it obviously can be fintech, and it can be cyber, and it can be edtech, and it can be any type of CRM marketing solution. And they are saying, look, we recognize the opportunity with the travel industry, we understand the value and the size of the industry, and we are willing to take our product adapted to the need of the industry. So what we do is when we, we interview a lot of these startups, Again, not from an investment perspective. First of all, we look at them from how viable their product into our industry. And often what you see is they come to us sometimes as a B2C solution or a B2B completely different. And I use my experience saying, you know what? Can you take your product and tweak it a little bit and use it in this way? Then they say, yeah, we actually can. So if you can, then I can match you with a very viable proof of concept with a, a potential customer of yours, which is again, it's a win-win situation. So do you map like the value chain in terms of where they fit in the travel industry and then say, hey, here's a really good fit, you know, there's a payment ish thing that you can take advantage of, or here's a personalization tool that could actually be used in three or four different types of scenarios. So that's kind of the, is that kind of the IP that you bring to the table? And yes, we, we're, we're approaching it both ways. So we ask our partners, which are the travel corporation, to tell us what are the pain points that they have. And again, I'm not asking them, and I'm emphasizing it, when you look at innovation, I like to call it the cycle of innovation, there are three, there are three levels, if you'd like. The first one is I'm down here, my rest of my, my peers are up here, or the other industry are up there and I'm trying to catch up. That's the first thing. And that's really where the industry is now. We are in a catch up mode and we help them to do it fast. The second one is innovation 
as far as, okay, I'm doing certain things, I'm doing checkup in, checking in a certain way, or dealing with my loyalty club in a certain way. And here is a way, technology-wise, that we can look at it completely different, but it's still within our business. And the third one is disruption. And most companies, you know, they don't like disruption, and they don't pay their internally employees to be disruptor. That's, normally they fire them if they're disruption. <laughs> So, so I always so, wondered. I also wondered how you kept your job because you're always disrupting. So that was, that was a pretty impressive run. So. But, but I was disrupting other companies, not mine. <laughs> but uh, and 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 it's true. You know, again, I I think that a lot of the stuff I've done in my with my background with Las Vegas Sands were very innovative. Um, but we were looking at things differently. But it still helped Las Vegas Sands as a corporation to increase its EBITDA. It was not that we came up with a completely line of business that de deteriorate the current line of business. Where they, I don't think people would appreciate that one. I wouldn't have lasted there for almost 16 years. Let me do it this way. So back, back to your question, what we do is first we get a list from our partners to tell us, go to, your, go to your operating team, go to your marketing, go to your IT, go to your compliance, your legal department, and get from them the list, the wish list, and, and, and give it to us. You're going to prioritize it, and it's fine because we know that we are not going to match one to one. We go to our network database of startups, and we find any company, again, based on what I explained before, my experience, that can fit and answer any one of these priorities. And we rank them not only by how viable the solution is, but also how complicated it is to implement it. So sometimes maybe a, a a solution will be not as impactful from an EBITDA perspective, but will be easier to implement. So from my perspective, I'll push it forward because we want to make it, the, the challenge is the implementation. So that's one thing. The other thing that I tell the partners, the corporation is, you don't know what you don't know. So when we see very interesting models out there, and that's when we get to the emerging in um, technology and different business model, often on the B2C side, and, and we, we tell them, look, we're going to bring them forward to you and you're going to choose them among all the others. So you have the stuff that fit your priority list plus the things that maybe don't fit, but you never even thought about it. And, and what we see very interesting in Israel specifically is because the market is very, very small. Already B2C is very challenging in our industry because the cost per acquisition of customer online between Expedia and Priceline Group and now Airbnb and TripAdvisor is, is tremendous and, and it's just almost impossible to compete there. So may, we see often the B2C startup in Israel coming up with very interesting concept, but we try to move them into the B2B2C, which is often they are willing to do because they need, they need the way to grow and they need the cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about Israel with, with um, over 7,000 startups uh, uh, in, in the region. How is it different working with startups in Israel versus London or New York or Boston or Silicon Valley? What are some of the experiences you can share with us? So just to clarify, it's over 7,000. It's not a region. The region is the Middle East. Sure, sure. I mean, we don't really cross. Unfortunately, I must say, I wish we could have said the region. But unfortunately, it's really very, very concentrated uh, and full of location within Israel. So there is Tel Aviv, there is in the South, there is Shiva um, and, and Jerusalem, 
um, but it's all within about an hour and a half drive. So probably smaller than Silicon Valley when you look at it. So, and obviously Israel by um, startup per capita in the country is the biggest in the world. And I'd like to say there are three, there are three main things that are different between, especially Silicon Valley, but any other big, um, big tech markets, like you mentioned, London. And the first one is, as I mentioned before, Israel is a very, very small market. So if you want to make it, you need to get outside of Israel. And, and this almost disadvantage is becoming an advantage because there is a lot of collaboration and you don't feel the uh, competition between the startup. You see sometimes people doing similar things and they would collaborate, they would share knowledge, they would be on the same WhatsApp group and FaceApp group and obviously coming to the same event and, and they will even share, do you know these people, do you know that people and, um, and trying to collaborate and sometimes even we try to bring them together and say, look, you guys do this, they do that, together we might have something much bigger. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I'm a big believer in the whole is the greater is greater than the part of sums. And so that's the first thing. The second thing that I mentioned before is we see a lot of B2C solution that very, very quickly change to and, and pivot to B2B2C, which what we are looking for is a great advantage. And, and the reason is, again, they can't make it, they can maybe make it in Israel, but it's a market of uh, seven, eight million people max, including children. And I mean, it's a, it's a small market. So to get out, the cost for them, it's a different language, different culture. They take all the resources into developing the product. The venture capital are very, very, they shy away from investing in them till they go outside. Okay. So, so there is a, this whole thing of trying to get outside. So that's a, the second thing that is very beneficial for our business model. The third and, and last that I normally emphasize is just the cost. So not, Israel is not a cheap location, but if you're looking for the talent, the creativity um, that you see in Silicon Valley, you can definitely get it in Israel. On certain aspects, I would argue that our, it is better than, uh, than uh, some of the stuff in Silicon Valley. And I would say mainly on cyber and fintech. Um, we want it to be also in travel tech, and that's our mission. And, um, and, and it's, uh, it's just cheaper. It's, uh, it's significantly cheaper. From an investment. So, no, so, so you, great paint, great picture on the uh, Israeli market, uh, thinking about startups and what's going on. I know a lot of folks are thinking about you know, tapping into startups in Israel, um, working with Israeli startups in collaboration. What's the biggest challenge innovation-wise for the travel sector overall? When we take a look and what's keeping people from being innovative? Why are people so conservative? What's, what's going on? Is that part of the culture? What's driving that? I would say, in the past I would say, again, and I mentioned it earlier before, in the past I would say that it has to do with lack of understanding in senior management of the importance of technology. Um, IT used to be a cost center, often reporting to the CFO, um, not really in line with the business need. Um, when I was looking um, for an IT person, I looked for somebody that came from a B2C environment that is very customer-centric. The, 
you know, from my perspective, it wasn't about firewalls and cyber. It's, an, it's about how do I help the operating team enhance the customer experience and improve the customer engagement. That's what the industry is about. I think that when you look at the big players in the industry, um, and I'm, I'm talking about the supplier side. Again, the OTAs, I mean, they are, they are there. They came from that side. They understand it. And you see today the big CEO of the hotel companies, the airline, the car rental, and even smaller, even though that it's not in their DNA, they understand the importance of it. I think that the challenge today is still really the implementation. Um, on the supplier side, the talent is not always there. Um, there is a lot, the priority list is tremendous. Uh, you are all the time catching up. You're all the time in a, a firefighting mode. And um, the IT people, when they hear innovation, they get shivers because for them, say, oh my God, I'm going to get more work. Nobody's going to ever be grateful because when things work perfectly, they will say, yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. No, I mean, we, you get your paycheck, so be happy about it. When stuff crashes, um, you know, they all come after the IT person. So, so you know... <laughs> Nothing changes into cross industries here. <laughs> yes. Look, I was, and fortunately, I was CIO and CMO in the same time. And I understand, I understood it from the other side because as a CMO, I was all the time the one complaining and moaning about how poor I <laughs> You complained so much they gave you the job, remember? <laughs> I didn't even know. I said, okay, you complain, it's yours. I mean, <laughs> that is the most ultimate story. I always, I always tell people that. Hey, so, so we, got, we got about 10 seconds. What is your conference? You got this awesome conference coming up. Um, tell us a little bit the, what the dates are and uh, what, what you expect to get out of it this year. So it's the second time we're doing it. It's going to be in June. And we start in the evening of the June 12th. It will be 13 and 14. Basically, we're bringing cooperation from the industry and to meet startups in Israel. So the first day, our conference, we have different session, hotel, OTA, just trends in, in the industry, airlines. And what we're doing there, we want the corporation to say, here's the kind of thing we're working on, and here are the pain points. And we want the tech people to hear and really align, from our perspective, the demand and supply. We want the tech people to say, wow, if British Airways pain point is this, maybe I can tweak my product this way. The second day what we do is actually speed dating. So we match them some startup that fit it. And then we give them a tour of the tech ecosystem in Tel Aviv that is outside of the travel. So they're going to meet with, obviously we do it at the Google campus. They're going to meet with Coca-Cola as a very innovative, similar product to what we are doing. And they're now sharing it with Mercedes-Benz and Turner Entertainment. We bring wow. them workplace, et cetera. Demand side, supply side, tech side, big brands all together in Israel. Catch up with Rom Handler, founder and managing partner in Avell. You can follow him on Twitter at R-O-M-H-E-N-D-L-E-R. One of the top travel gurus I know. And the only person I know that's been stuck with the CIO job because he complained too much. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, thanks for being on the show. And, uh, you know, happy travels. Thanks, Rom. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. We... We are on the travel edition. I am at an airport. This is kind of fun. So anyway, <laughs> who do we have next on our travel and leisure edition of Disrupt TV?
it's our pleasure to have Tommy Statlin, co-founder of Polaroid Swing. Uh, him and his team are leading a major digital relaunch of an iconic company. Uh, you know, the premise is that memories move, so photos should move too. And there's incredible technology enabling Polaroid Swing that I'm going to learn about. Tommy's a former McKenzie consultant with global experience advising businesses and governments. He worked with President Obama and the former British Foreign Secretary David Miliband. Tommy is a co-author of international best-selling book titled Connect, How Companies Succeed by Engaging Radically with Society. I'd love to hear more about that. His book, his book was described by Ariana Huffington as a compelling blueprint for the future which will redefine the way we think about business. Uh, the book featured 80 CEOs and political leaders. Um, I first learned about the book when Tommy did an interview with uh, you know, Jim Cramer and talked about the Polaroid swing. And uh, so he's a frequent speaker and, and, and certainly a thought leader. Uh, that, that, that's another must follow on Twitter. You can follow Tommy on Twitter at Tommy Stadlin, T-O-M-M-Y-S-T-A-D-L-E-N. Welcome, Tommy, to uh, Disrupt TV. Thanks so much for having me on. It's really great to be on the show. Okay. Yeah, hey, welcome. And uh, lots of cool stuff on your end. So I, I couldn't help but reading, I think it was a Wired or Fast Company article about the whole story behind this. You guys fell in love with the Polaroid brand story. Um, and, and you said, hey, we got to do something about this. So how did you inspire others to join the cause when at that point in time, I mean, people are like, this company is left for dead. There's nothing going on. So how did you bring it back to life? Let's start there. <laughs> it's a long story. How long have you got? Well, this all started with, uh, with this idea that if we could combine the sort of amazing brand heritage and design heritage of Polaroid, which, you know, I think is just one of the most iconic brands in the world. If we could combine that with cutting edge Silicon Valley imaging technology, the best that Silicon Valley has to offer when it comes to engineering and design. If we put those two things together, we thought we could do something special. And so we went out and we were very lucky early on. We, we managed to attract uh, the founder of Twitter, Biz Stone, to come and join us on this mission to become our chairman. And Biz brought with him just this fantastic array of uh, design talent, engineering talent, who came along for the ride. Um, and it was kind of an unusual story, right? Because most Silicon Valley startups start in a garage and there's no brand. And the whole thing is you've got to make a brand out of nothing. And we kind of did it the other way around. We started with this amazing brand and then it was about how do we stay true to that brand, but also push it really, really far into the future. And I think actually that was what excited our team the most was saying, you know, how do we take the photograph, something as basic as a photograph and completely reinvent it? And that's our, our mission as a company is to reimagine photography. That's fantastic. You know, with three to four billion photos shared a year, which is right. a staggering number. You can't even wrap your head around it. Uh, this is a visual society and, you know, cognitive science has shown that we process images 60 times faster than, than words and text. So as, as, as the brand promise and lifestyle of an individual or company becomes more of a visual process, how do you deal with this explosive growth that your company has experienced? What do you, how do you keep the culture in tune and how do you think about leveraging some of the uh, you know, emerging machine learning, deep learning technologies that are taking us to whole new ways of really taking advantage of images and photography. Wow, yeah, so that, I mean, there is so much to unpick in all of that. I mean, you brought up so many interesting points. 
I think, you know, as a former English literature student and as a writer, I hate to say this, but, you know, the old saying, a picture tells a thousand words, it's kind of true. And I've just seen this amazing trend, which is that we are communicating as a human race now with images instead of text. And I think Snapchat has a big, big role to play there. This idea that the photograph is no longer a piece of art, it's just a way of communicating. Or whether it's the guys at Giphy. And you know, if, if you can say something with a, with a funny GIF, that can be 10 times more entertaining, 10 times more meaningful than a string of sentences. So we're communicating with photographs. We're expressing ourselves with photographs. But as you said, there is a deluge of JPEGs. There are billions and billions of these things going out there. And that kind of tends to lose meaning after a while. So what we said was, hold on a minute, what if we slow this whole thing down? So what if we try and give much more meaning to one individual photograph? And the way we thought about doing that was saying, you know, photographs have gone from black and white to color to mobile, but it's always been in kind of two dimensions. How do we bring another dimension to the photograph, which is essentially time? And so our idea with Swing was to say, you can take a photograph and then you can reach into that photograph and touch it and interact with it and make it come to life. And what that allows you to do as a consumer, as a user of that photograph, is you can read people's facial expressions. You can start to really see the kind of the beauty of a dress moving in the wind or of hair flowing in the wind of water. And human beings are brilliant at detecting these micro expressions, which are completely lost with a still photograph. So we wanted to say, let's let people linger on a photograph, really enjoy one moment in time in a very special way. That's awesome. Wow, that is really powerful. Now, hey, as part of doing this, you went back and looked at the history of Edwin Land, understanding exactly how these companies have been built. You studied all these other companies that are intersecting between design and technology. What does history tell us about the mistakes that companies that are doing really well make and forget to uh, think about um, as, they, as they're in their success, in their moment of success, um, and, and don't have a plan forward? What, what do they do? What have you learned? You know, it's been really interesting to kind of study this with my company and then, you know, also with my clients at McKinsey. And I think, you know, I have identified really one thing. I think it's losing sight of what your core is. And so, for example, with Polaroid and what we tried to do, it was about going back to the core of the photograph itself. And then to take a completely different example, we looked at Burberry, the British fashion company, and looked at this kind of amazing story of the rise of Burberry, a very, very historic brand. And, you know, about 20 years ago, it became synonymous with football hooligans in Britain. And the brand was over-licensed, under-loved, and they moved away from what, what their core was. But they, they turned that around. And under Angela Ahrens, they said, we're going to go back to our core, which is the trench coat. We're going to focus completely on that. But we're going to take our core and we're going to be the most digitally savvy retailer fashion brand in the world. And so I think that's the kind of thing. Don't lose sight of your core, but equally drag that core kicking and screaming into the next era. And obviously now that's mobile, that's augmented reality. And I think it's a really hard thing to do because you've got to stay true to your roots, true to your brand, while completely reinventing yourself at the same time. That's, 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 that's amazing insight. Um, I just want to make a comment about the power of image. I am a power user of Twitter. Anyone okay. who knows me or follows me knows that. And I have to tell you, pers personal experience, by adding a beautiful image, you, I see my tweets one to two order of magnitudes in terms of more sharing. So if you're social and you're not taking advantage of sharing beautiful moments, meaningful moments in a narrative that, that, that you share with your network, you're missing a big opportunity 
to to expand your share of voice and and frankly build deeper relationship with your with your with your network. So that's just commentary on my side. Uh, yeah. But let's my my question is regarding maybe similar to, you know aligned to what I just said in your book Connect. You talked about reputation as an outcome of who you really are. It's not something that you want to. It, it, it's not a construct you manage. It's it's who you are. And I think when you are actively um, uh, engaging on social, and you are sharing moments that matter to you, um, in my view, it's 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 radical engagement. It's personalized, and it really can help people understand who you are. More importantly, you can understand what your customers are all about, your, your, your employees, your stakeholders, your community. So talk to us about the power of using technology like Polaroid Swing to really be transparent about who you are and in, in, in a way bolstering your company's reputation through radical transparency. It's, it's so fascinating this because we really are living in this era of, of radical transparency. You can't hide it. And I think what's interesting is that large corporations, certainly, the tendency is to be very conservative with a small C. It's to be quite secretive. It's not to give away your secrets. And so I think corporate culture is designed over history to be a closed gate. And it's very, very difficult to then completely open it up. But I think you have to. I think otherwise you're like King Canute trying to kind of hold back the waves of transparency and it's not going to work. But I think for me, social media is just an amplifier. It's an amplifier of very good behavior or a very bad behavior. And, you know, if you get on the wrong side of it, whether that's United Airlines, not once, but twice when they had, you know, first of all, it was United Airlines breaks guitars, then it's obviously them beating up their customers. And when things go wrong on social media, it is terrifying, terrifying for companies. But when companies do it right, it is just such a powerful tool because it is authentic. It cuts through in a way that if you have a CEO going on CNN, you know, people get, I've almost tuned that out. You know, people have almost tuned out the, the, the sort of uh, jargon, the business jargon. It's just not authentic. And social gives you the opportunity just to talk directly to your consumers in a completely authentic way. But there's a big but. You've got to be good at it. You've got to be good at the internet. Um, and that's a special skill which you know a lot of a lot of CEOs don't have, and quite understandably, they never grew up with it. So it's really interesting to see CEOs try and navigate the desire for kind of corporate secrecy, but also you've got to put yourself out there. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I don't know, Ray, your thoughts. You're on mute. Oh yeah, no, I'm. I'm just thinking like you know, there's so much. I mean so much intersections here, right? Thinking about design, thinking about technology, thinking about business models, you know, thinking about all, all these things that you're putting together here, right? Thinking about touch and emotion and consumer all at the same point, right? How does that, you know, how does that really, how does it change like the way you think about what people look back in terms of history, right? And I think about this in the sense that, you know, when we think about the startups that we're creating, the legacies that people are leaving, right, the role of business and society, where do you see that fit? Because you're pulling all these different areas together, you're working between the edges of all these different you know, disciplines, and, and yet there's a mission behind that, yet there's a role that you're putting together. So how do you, how do you put that together and what, how do you describe that? Well, it's really interesting. I, I went out and I wrote this book, uh, Connect, which, which I have a copy of here, and Connect, is about how companies succeed by engaging radically with society. And what we, what we looked at was basically companies who deeply connect with, with society uh, tend to outperform their peers uh, by about 2% per annum on the stock market. So that's 20% over a decade of outperformance against your peers if you truly engage. 
And we looked at companies which did this and we thought corporate social responsibility or CSR as it's known is dead because it's always disconnected from the, from the core of the company's strategy and operations. And so we said CSR is dead and in its place, we looked at companies who integrate societal issues, environmental issues, right into the core of the business model. And by doing so, generated huge, huge power. And you know the, the value at stake is actually enormous. There's some McKinsey research that we used for the book, which found that 30% of a company's value is at stake from its interactions with governments, NGOs, regulators, those kind of non-traditional stakeholders. So this stuff is a, is a hardcore business issue, um, and it really can affect the bottom line. So my challenge, sort of taking that forward into my company and in the technology sector, is to say, Technology, you know, has been a massively trusted industry. Technology is trusted by about, you know, 80% of people around the world compared to say finance where it's about 50%. So there's a halo around technology, but I think actually that's at risk. If you think about issues like artificial intelligence, that's at risk. But it's not just technology. And I think that's the point you're making, right? It's technology plus arts, technology plus um, entertainment, technology plus travel, technology plus you know, retail. And, and, and that's the convergence. And that's what makes this very exciting. So, Absolutely. It, it, it absolutely is. Uh, I, I want to go back to your book. You, 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 you have four major tenets in terms of connected leadership. And it started with mapping your stakeholders' world and understanding themselves and precisely their customers' needs clearly and powerfully defining your company's mission statement and your contribution to society, applying world-class management and traditional soft societal topics, and then lastly, what you had mentioned, engage radically. I want to talk about mapping their world. As uh, you know, voice recognition is now at 95% uh, equaling uh, you know, human uh, ability to recognize voice based on Mary Meeker's report from yesterday. Google's facial recognition and tagging at 99% accuracy. Can we use technology like Polaroid Swing and capture all this unstructured data about our customers and prospects and employees and somehow at some point get to a point where we can paint a picture of what our customers' needs are or their likes and dislikes by using, by using visual data to really help understand uh, you know, how we can, in a more meaningful way, engage with them in, in terms of business engagement. Do you see deep learning, machine learning, and technologies coupled with your app really helping companies better appreciate and understand their customers and employees? I, th I think absolutely. You know, in, in, in an answer, short answer, yes. And I think this is about understanding your stakeholders as well as you understand your consumers. I think actually companies are pretty good at understanding their consumers, their customers, but what they're less good at is this kind of sensing mechanism for understanding how their company interacts with stakeholders across a wider part of the world. And so with machine learning, voice recognition, a lot of these disruptive technologies, it helps you create this, this enormous sensing mechanism. Yeah. And you can take so much data, but obviously, as we know, the key is being able to take insight from that data. That's, that's one thing I would draw out of this. You've got to be able to take the insight from it. But yeah. secondly, you've then got to be really careful that you use it in a responsible way. Yeah. And because otherwise, you know, the whole point of trying to sense what society wants from you and not to mess up with society, you can actually screw that whole thing up by then kind of misusing data and not being careful with privacy and so on. So you've got to be really careful. Yeah. yeah. Got to be really careful. Power. With great power comes great responsibility. So very, very cool. So um, a couple of questions, you know, um, you know, you talked about 
you talked about why should government leaders read this book, right? And that's an element where a lot of people, um, you know, are saying, hey, how does business, government, commercial come together? Um, what, what's the advantage for people to read your book um, in terms of the government leaders? What can they learn from there and take into action, especially given how our governments are all in a little bit of chaos at the moment? Yes, well, we are a sort of transatlantic company, so we're having a very interesting time, first of all, with Brexit and then the elections in the US. So it's been an interesting couple of years with government. Um, I, look, I would say this, we interviewed uh, Hank Paulson for this book, and we talked about his experience as, a, as moving from Goldman Sachs to being a regulator. And he just talked about turning up, and when he was a regulator, you know, just the lack of resources that he had at his disposal. And he really felt very strongly that it was so important for government to have the knowledge of technology, the knowledge of markets, because otherwise, how, how on earth are you going to regulate these things? And so I think as we think about the big issues of tomorrow, artificial intelligence, how is that going to affect jobs? How is, how, what are the ethics of that going to be? It's so important that it's not just people in Silicon Valley who really understand those issues. So for government, I think it's crucial that they have a deep technical and ethical understanding of the big issues of our day. And so I think that's why they've got to engage with these issues. Wow, this is awesome. So, hey, we are here with Tommy Stadlin, co-founder of Polaroid Swing, more importantly, co-author of Connect, How Companies Succeed by Engaging Radically with Society. Um, exciting interview, multidisciplinary. And of course, you can follow him at Tommy Stadlin, T-O-M-M-Y-S-T-A-D-L-E-N, as we continue our travel and lifestyle episode of Disrupt TV. So, Tommy, you. You, you crushed it. I hope you come back. You were awesome. Really. Thanks so much for having me. Loved it. Yeah, we're gonna use, I'm going to use your app. Watch my Twitter stream. I'm, I'm looking forward to expanding my reach with your technology, for sure. Good man. Looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Wow, Ray, that was awesome. <laughs> that that was, was awesome. I'm going to be in London the 12th and 13th. Maybe I should say hi or maybe drop yeah, in San Francisco. Sure. We'll see where he's at. So that Very, was, very cool. That was terrific. Well, this is what we call at Disrupt TV our cleanup hitter spot, where we bring an amazing thought leader and he – or she hits a grand slam, so uh, no pressure, but uh, <laughs> hey, we're, we're delighted to have Henry Hartwelt, founder, travel industry analyst, advisor of Atmosphere Research Group. Henry is considered one of the travel industry's most well-known and respected analyst and advisor. After nearly 12 years of Forrester Research travel industry analysis, Henry founded Atmosphere Research in 2011 to provide objective and trustworthy research on emerging marketing, digital commerce, distribution trends in the global travel industry. He has written over 140 research reports on e-commerce, mobility, personalization, and other topics that are incredibly important to the travel industry today. Become, before becoming an analyst, Henry spent more than 15 years in marketing and planning and distribution roles in the top travel firms around the world regularly mentioned in media, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today. Uh, I really had a hard time, you know, reducing his bio to a couple of minutes. He actively shares his insights on Twitter, more so than most analysts that I know. You know, him and Ray are right up there. So an awesome follow on Twitter at H-H-A-R-T-E-V-E-L-D-T. Welcome, Henry, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Oh, awesome having my fellow Forrester alum on here and especially doing well. Successful names. Awesome. Hey, you know, look, you've been a big proponent on personalization 
right? And now we've got these great tools, AI, cognitive, machine learning, predictive algorithms, all this cool math that's out there. What's changed? Is it really the same thing? Are we just really pouring old wine into new glasses? Or is this completely transformational? I, I think the potential exists for it to be transformational, right? Uh, the challenge is that there are a lot of complex systems that lie underneath. Um, some of these systems literally date back to the Johnson or Ken Kennedy eras in terms of how old they are. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, you also have a lot of different parts of each business. Uh, so it's a question of what do you want to attack first with personalization? What does, in fact, what does personalization mean? And, and uh, uh, these are the discussions that I'm having a lot with travel industry executives, airlines, hotels, cruise lines, travel agencies, and others. It's overwhelming. And what they really need to do is to just say, okay, we're going to start with personalization with this one part of our business, this one function, and build out from there. I am looking forward to a day where I can walk into a hotel and just talk to Alexa. Turn on the light, turn on the TV, get me high-speed internet, room service, and have the same experience I have at home in a hotel environment. Um, and over time, if it's the same hotel where in their CRM system, they know that I'm an avid room service guy, <laughs> and they know the channels that I prefer, and, and, uh, and even the temperature of the room, collect as much information about me and then as soon as I check in, really tailor my experience and use voice as an emerging UI to make it as convenient as possible. Are we, in your uh, expertise, a year from that, five years from that, or it's just not going to happen? Well, no. So I'll tell you, there is a, uh, one of the Las Vegas casino resorts is planning to put uh, Amazon Echo units in their rooms. But what's really interesting is when you think about how Las Vegas has marketed itself for a couple of decades now, what happens here stays here. Do you really, really want to have a listening device that the hotel puts in that room versus using the virtual assistant you may have on your mobile phone or other device, plugging that into the hotel and letting you talk and, and work that way. And I think that, frankly, would be a better solution. Because to your point, you know, uh, hey, Alexa or whatever, Siri, uh, uh, make the room warmer, make the room colder. Well, you know what? You know what warmer means to you. Right. If your assistant knows that, then, then it can say, okay, we need to take the temperature up or down. Uh, uh, order me, you know, let's connect with room service, et cetera. All of that's great. Um, we are seeing efforts made with conversational commerce. Uh, sure. We have brands like Lola, which is a startup travel agency headed by Paul English, who came out of Kayak. It's AI-based. It's completely chat-based. You have uh, airlines like KLM and others that are using Facebook Messenger. Uh, Expedia, I believe, has done a test with Amazon Echo. Uh, so you're seeing the first steps made. And it's not unlike when you go to the beach, you want to dip your toes in the water. So it's perfectly fine to do the testing. The challenge is, and this goes back actually to something Rom was talking about and a little bit about what Tommy was talking about, there is concern about how much change, how much innovation can you handle. Travel companies perennially underinvest in their tech. We've seen this happen with airlines, we've seen this happen with hotels. The, uh, uh, 
range for investment of most industries on IT is 4% to 6% of revenues. Airlines invest around 2.7% of revenue on IT. Hotels are roughly 33 to 3.5. Okay. Wow. wow. Those are low numbers compared to the rest of the industry. Right. So they're, they're skating away. So that whole, that whole BA disaster on IT is probably an example of like skimping too hard. So. Well, BA, Delta, United, Southwest, American, uh, you know, who've we left out? You know, I mean, insert name of big airline here and they have had a problem. And by the way, if they haven't, they will. Wow, that is, that is huge. So as we're talking about these and, and these shifts, right, you know, one of the other big issues, right, w along with personalization was, you know, there was a time, I don't know if you've ever seen that Doc Searle's VRM paper, where like, you know, the whole idea was um, this vendor relationship management is an early concept out of the Harvard Berkman Center. And the idea behind VRM was the fact that, you know, it already knows what I want. I'm just saying, hey, I'm going on a trip to San Francisco. It knows my favorite airline. It knows exactly how I want to pay, types I want, and it just searches for it. And it comes back within a second and says, oh, let's just go, right? And everything's taken care of. Are we really far away from that? Or is that something you think we're going to see in our lifetime or something in the next five to 10 years? Uh, our lifetime? I, well, certainly within our lifetime, I hope, Ray. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we hey, look, driverless cars were cool in the 60s. I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think that, that uh, 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 we're within a few years away. And you take a look at some of the uh, advancements made with cognitive data, with uh, uh, solutions like you know, Watson from IBM and, and others on the artificial intelligence. So yes, I believe that it is increasingly practical uh, from a technology standpoint, but also from an investment standpoint and an implementation and execution standpoint. And in fact, our research shows that, again, 60% or more of consumers are frustrated with the travel planning and shopping experience. And that is, we're, we're doing research in 15 countries worldwide. Okay, no one is really happy with this, yet travel has been doing uh, uh, digital commerce since 1994. It's the largest single e-commerce category uh, outside porn, okay? And, uh, uh, you know, it, it is one of the most successful from a consumer adoption standpoint, but we're using it and we're not that happy with it. So to your example of, hey, plan my trip from point A to point B, yes, and you're seeing bits and pieces of this come through. Uh, uh, you're seeing some companies like Amadeus uh, uh, offer what I call intuitive uh, shopping and planning so that you don't have to think and act like a travel agent. You know, show me great deals to beaches or show me great deals to Europe or whatever it is. It knows where you live and it can show you these broad swaths of information. The challenge is then, how do you take everything that's available and bring it down to what's meaningful to you? And one of the challenges with this is we're all schizophrenic when it comes to travel. We have multiple travel personalities. Ray, you probably have an infinite number of them. I know I have at least half a dozen, if not more. You know, what's it like when I'm traveling for personal business or on my, uh, for biz, uh, company business? Uh, long haul or short haul, day trip or, you know, whatever. Who's traveling with me and so on and so forth. Am I traveling to a familiar destination or a new place with brands that I know or not, et cetera, et cetera. So you have that. And part of this is how do we know, Ray, 
what you really want, what kind of mood you're in, what kind of needs, rational as and emotional. And the emotional part, that's the hardest one to figure out. Sure, sure. And as you're capturing, um, you know, with, techno with technologies like um, AI and machine learning, and as you're capturing unstructured and structured data about uh, an individual, all aimed at personalization, immediacy, and intelligent engagement, how will that impact things like dynamic pricing, where you understand the sensitivities in pricing that differs by individual, right. and you try to cater an offering that can help, you know, uh, you know, help, help, help not only engage, but uh, expand the business relationship. Right. With the so one of the big challenges, Fala, is this. The data travel companies have is awful. Okay, by their own admission, travel executives rate the quality of their data around 5.3 out of 10. Wow. It's up from 5.2 last year, don't pop any champagne. So, uh, you know, they admit that even though they sit on terabytes or more of data and, and travel companies, remember this is the industry that 50 plus years ago created e-commerce with Sabre and American Airlines, so they've been sitting on data for years, uh, frequent flyer programs, loyalty programs, more than 30 years old. They've got data. A lot of it isn't useful and they need a lot more that is uh, good. And, and Vala, you mentioned unstructured data. That's one of the hardest for them to capture and interpret. So it's capturing this, it's held on more than two dozen databases, put it together, synthesize it, and so on. Dynamic pricing, is, is a twist on what travel, travel companies have pioneered, which is revenue management. So this is what, frankly, pisses a lot of us off as consumers. Uh, management. Oh. Right. You know, we thought the price was X, yeah. but by the time we buy it, it's gone up. Maybe it's a few bucks, maybe it's a lot. And so that is something that really, really frustrates the traveler. But it also frustrates the seller. What they would really like to know is how do I get away from filed airfares or fixed room rates and discounting off of that and say, oh, it's Vala or it's Ray or it's Henry or it's Tommy or Rum or whoever. Uh, and, you know, and, and that we are saying, okay, I know what their willingness to pay is. I know what form of payment they use. They're coming to me through this channel or that, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I know their total spending to be on these other optional services. For example, as a hotel, room service, meals, spa, whatever it is, I can go ahead and dynamically say I'm going to offer you a rate of $99, this other person a rate of $109, and this third person a rate of $149, and have you all feel good about that yeah. because it's the value you want, it's the value you need, and it's what you're comfortable paying for. You can afford it. Sure. sure. We have a comment from uh, a former CIO. Uh, Joanna Young, Joanna who's Young yeah. advising some of the top CIOs in the world, uh, and her comment is, I'm looking forward to walking into a hotel and always having reliable, uh, high-performing Wi-Fi. Why are hotels behind just Wi-Fi? I know <laughs> Joanna and I view it as like having a pillow. Like, it just should be there. <laughs> it, you're right. And, and I got to tell you, I view it like having hot water, and I don't always get hot water in the morning either, right? And Joanna's comment is so perfect because it goes really along with the pillow and the hot water to what we expect as a fundamental 
uh, you know, offering of a hotel. We expect to be safe. We expect to be secure. We expect hot water to be there when we need it. You know, and we expect the Wi-Fi to be as fast or better than at home. This is where you get into the reality that most hotels are owned by independent organizations, whether it's a franchisee uh, or a management company, and they simply don't invest. They think they've put it in. They don't think about uh, uh, the relaying of the signals down a long corridor. One of the worst hotels in the world was the iconic Waldorf Astoria because it had all these thick plaster walls and the signals couldn't transmit. And so they didn't realize they needed to put relays along the, you know, a lot of them on each floor. Uh, uh, you know, we'll see what they do with the remodel. But that's one of the biggest issues. You don't have people who always understand the reality until the guest frankly speaks up. And, and I, I remember being at a hotel once where I, I, I was watching a tech executive talk to the person who was the general manager of the hotel about, here's what you need to do. Here's why you need to do it. Here's how you do it. Here's who you call. And the poor GM, I'm sure that went well. His, his eyes were glazing <laughs> over. It did go over well. It did go over well. But I told the GM later, I said, you just probably got $100,000 worth of consulting advice from one of your guests. He paid you to be here. Listen to him. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. So, hey, you know, dynamic pricing always reminds me of like, you know, you, you pull into high high net worth zip code, your gas is like three, three bucks fifty. You pour somewhere else, it's two bucks full serve. So <laughs> people get worried about things like that well, and, on the and, pricing side. Ray, that's a very fair point. And that's something we've seen Amazon has tried and failed. Marriott's tried some of this and has it hasn't gone well. And so you have to be careful that what you are offering is going to be a fair price to all. You can't say, oh, it's this person, I can charge him or her three times more for the same thing that I'm going to charge this other traveler. That won't fly, no pun intended. No, that, that doesn't fly, and, and, this, and this touches on, uh, on that big point about loyalty. Is, is there really consumer loyalty left in travel, or is price like the ultimate determination here? You know, there is loyalty amongst those uh, uh, who travel moderately to frequently, Ray, you know, we know you're very loyal to, you know, certain airlines and hotels and so on. And that's great. But our research shows that overall with travel, uh, 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 fewer than 23% of, of travelers, uh, now feel loyal to any travel brand. Uh, wow. And, lowest and price wins. It's not a matter of lowest price wins. That's the interesting thing. It's best value. You, you've got 40% or more of consumers worldwide who will pay more for better service, more comfort. Uh, again, a lot depends on what they're looking at, airline fares or air, airline travel versus hotels versus cruise, et cetera. It's not price. Price wins when that's the only measurement we have to use to determine what differentiates brand A and its product from brand B and its product. Uh, uh, um, so, you know, this is where contextual information comes in. We heard from Tommy about the importance of visual content. Vala, you were talking about that. Uh, uh, more than 80% of travelers say visual content is important to them when they're planning uh, to book a trip. Uh, hotels are especially, it's especially important. If I'm booking a park view room, what's that view really going to be like, right? And I love that when they says, here's a view of our park view room, there's no park outside and the shades are drawn. I mean, you know, again, this is where the travel industry just falls down on the basics. So if you can incorporate 
product information that helps the consumer understand why your product may be better for them than they may be willing to pay. Not everybody you know, will be loyal and that's all right. American has said more than, uh, I think 83% of its passengers fly just once a year. Uh, uh, but you know, it's the other 17% that account for the vast majority of its revenue and profit. Absolutely. I expect whether it's a, you know, a virtual reality app on a Samsung S8 or, or an iPhone right. uh, to be able to, you know, pop it in my uh, Oculus like, but, you know, one tenth the price <laughs> VR headset and be able to see that view that I'm about to spend, you know, four or five hundred a night uh, and not be surprised when I get there. And then when I get there, if it's a large resort, I want to be able to point my phone and have augmented reality tell me about the restaurants, the shops the Yelp report and scores and really guide my experience based on, you know, a social network, especially a social network of folks that I'm connected with who I trust. Right. So if Ray tells me, go eat at this, you know, amazing Indian restaurant at this, at this hotel, that, that, his, that point of view carries quite a bit of weight with me. Right. And so being able to, to have all of the social sentiment tied to an augmented reality as you're on premise at a large maybe Vegas-like establishment, then that would be an amazing experience for me. My last question to you is, I'm, I have the privilege of the next few weeks, maybe a month or so, speak to two CMOs representing two amazing hotel brands. Well, what advice should I give these CMOs? And I know that's, it's such a hard question to answer because you have no context. Right. <laughs> but just know that there are CMOs of major hotel brands. What's that one thing they should be thinking about as they develop their well, investment thesis all aimed at improving the customer experience? Well, I would ask them uh, 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 really, you know, one, what distinguishes them from their competitors? There's very little. Everyone has white duvets. Everyone has Wi-Fi. Everyone has chef-led restaurants and things like that. So how can they really distinguish themselves? Where's the true innovation? Uh, uh, and, and frankly, how can they be less like big box brands, you know, uh, you know, homogenous brands, and get away from sameness and focus on consistency, but being more authentic uh, uh, at the property level and at the brand level. So the one thing I can't stand is when you walk into a hotel, if it's a chain hotel, and you feel you could be anywhere. Uh, you know, I was at a Marriott hotel in Prague. Prague is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. This was a lovely Marriott. It was very tastefully done. I could have been in Peoria. There was nothing about it that said Prague. There was, you know, it was the Marriott brothers' pictures and the and the counter with the colonial style. Yeah, yeah. You it know, just it, this was it was <laughs> contemporary. It was tasteful, but there was nothing that said Prague. So how do these hotels bring the destination in? Uh, through design, through experience, through the you know, uh, a culture, other things like that, food and wine, all of these different things. Um, you know, th this is an industry that desperately lacks the, the desire to innovate and the desire to disrupt itself. And that's why you have seen brands like Airbnb be so su successful, why Surf Air, uh, uh, no pun intended, took off in popularity and why other uh, businesses uh, that seem to be able to disrupt do. And, you know, Ray, you're at Newark Terminal C. I recognize it from my days at Continental. Darn. Uh, Darn. You know, but, but, you know, <laughs> there you are. Uh, yet, you know, uh, 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 you know, so many airlines have started and gone out of business. 
um, hotel brands get bought and you know fade away. You know, we, we've seen consolidation. You have to be willing. I would ask this, Vala, going back to your question, how would these guys be willing to disrupt themselves if they had to? You know, uh, they've seen Airbnb come in and 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 eat their lunch. Uh, again, our research shows more than twenty percent of the travelers in each of the fifteen countries where we survey have used home sharing at least once in the past uh, year. So, uh, you know, how would these guys disrupt themselves if they could? What do they feel they need to do? Uh, uh, you know, if they had a magic wand and money were no object, right? That's a big thing. Then how do you bring it back into the reality? That's wow. terrific advice. I will use is, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> this so. is live here with Henry Hardevel, founder, travel industry analyst, and advisor, Atmosphere Research Group, and a good friend. You can follow him at H-A-R-T-E-V-E-L-T-E-V-E-L-D-T, Hardevelt. And of course, you know, catch him on Twitter, catch him live at conferences, and more importantly, uh, catch his thoughts. Definitely awesome on the travel industry. One of the top gurus I know, personally, in the space. Thanks was, a lot. That was a grand slam. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Wow, our travel and lifestyle issue of Disrupt TV, an amazing group of people. I, I don't know how we're going to top this. <laughs> I, I, that was awesome. I definitely need to talk to all three when I plan my, uh, my upcoming uh, events uh, and travel experiences. Next week, we have another amazing show, Ray. We have Joanna Moretti, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Jabo and General Manager Radius Design. She's an extraordinary innovator, and she's going to teach us about you know, uh, disruptive innovation. We have Henry Schuck, co-founder, chief executive officer of Discover Org. And then we have Scott Sanchuti, director of Alexander Group and founder of Sales and Labor Society. It's gonna be an amazing show, really distinct points of view from three awesome guests. So if it's Friday, it's uh, Disrupt TV. Thanks everyone. Hey, thanks everyone. Live from Newark Airport, Terminal C. Henry Hardeville called it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Safe travels, Ray. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.